If Man United were playing, uh, you'd be like sitting here in your Man United jocks all week. Right. Not the correct. fact that it's Man City about to do a treble, you are studiously ignoring it. Let's let's just call it it's true. OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7:30 on the OTB Sports app. We're going to turn to the Champions League. So, first Champions League for Manchester City, a third Champions League for Pep Guardiola, Guardiola, excuse me. Uh, it is also his second treble. Thank you very much, Barcelona now City. So, rubber stamping the sense that he is the greatest manager of his generation and quite probably any generation less about the drama of 99 uh, but uh, impressive nonetheless to say the least even if last night wasn't a stunning occasion we have Stephen Doyle here in studio Steele you're very welcome thanks Joe good afternoon and Keith Tracy is with us to make sense of it all hello how are we lads so we were just chatting it's the interesting question I guess that people have been um, talking about as a hypothetical for for the last uh, couple of weeks and now we can properly compare you were asking do I think the 99 treble or the 23 treble is more impressive. And uh, well, you can give us your thoughts and all that. City have made this a procession, really. Um, it's about like sophisticated dominance, whereas Manchester United was last ditch heroics at every turn. So it's hard to uh, make the argument that Man United was more impressive, definitely more exciting. Yeah, much more exciting. But the Manchester City stuff, it's... Like when they went and beat Real Madrid 4-1 and they just brushed them aside I think they're the only team now in world football that could have done that to Real Madrid you know with the likes of Benzema and Modric they're always in the game but for Madrid just as for City just to have their, their foot on Madrid's throat and just not let go of it I thought it was absolutely excellent and then even when they played Inter last night you're thinking when De Bruyne goes off maybe Inter have a chance to grow into the game you know, a lot of people were thinking City would get a, a fast start, hit the back of the net and then just keep the ball. It wasn't like that. It was a lot more competitive than I thought it was going to be. And City just found a way. They just found a way. And like I said, when De Bruyne went off, I know it's Phil Foden coming on. Phil Foden's an excellent player. But you're just thinking these have been weakened a little bit. Bernardo Silva wasn't having a great game. I thought DeMarco was excellent against him. Mm. I thought Dumfries was brilliant against Grealish. But... I'm not too sure. I, I think the Manchester United treble in 99 was obviously a lot more exciting given what happened to with Bayern Munich in the final. But like you said, Joe, off air, I think Manchester City have done this and tore their fourth gear, which makes it really, really impressive. And like I said, I know Winter were close to them last night. There wasn't a lot on the scoreline, but I feel that City probably had two or three gears to go had Inter yeah. been able to hit the back of the net. Like you could put it this way, Stephen. When United did the treble in 99, everybody sat around and said, my God, we'll never see that again. <laughs> City are probably favourites to do the treble again next year. Yeah, you'd, you would definitely think so. And, you know, even when it was getting to the stage where it was scoreless and you were kind of thinking, oh, this could might go City's way, you're still thinking they're going to win the European Cup, Champions League. Eventually, yeah. it's going to happen. It's an inevitability. But I did, um, I have to say, I enjoyed the game, Joe. And I think it was... I felt like Kenny Cunningham sitting in my sitting room last night and I was watching it and I did feel a sense of being, I was on edge watching the game and I think it was just because Inter really did, tactically I thought Simone Inzaghi sent them out really, really well. He had them hunting in packs. Every time a City player got on the ball, there was two or three Inter players surrounding them trying to get the ball back. They, you know, they pressed very cleverly. It wasn't like a, a full-on press at times. They picked their areas of the pitch where they went to go and press the ball. And it made it hard for Manchester City. Um, I think ultimately, 
And when you go back to that 99 treble, Joe, like United beat some really good opposition on the way. That Bayern Munich team was fantastic. You look through the players back then, the Juventus team that they've defeated as well. Yeah. An absolutely wonderful Juventus team with Zidane and everything. And I can remember at that time thinking, and everybody was saying at the time, Joe, this Manchester United team are going to dominate English football for, it seemed like it was going to be never ending. But as we all know, it's cyclical, you know. I don't know if it's cyclical with this Manchester City team, but you'd be probably looking at Newcastle United. Maybe they are the team that put it up to them. Unfortunately, we're looking at where's the finances coming from uh, in this particular uh, battle. But as you said at the start there, there, Joe, I think it is kind of, you're looking at Manchester City. Is there going to be a challenge for them next season, uh, stopping them to, to win the treble? There's going to be a couple of sides. Liverpool look like they're going to be stronger next season. Chelsea, I'm sure. Manchester United in the Premier League, that might be a tougher one to win, but you would see them having a very good chance of winning back-to-back Champions Leagues. I think ultimately last night, the quality of player in both of those teams was the winning of the game really because Inter had some good players defensively midfield but it was up front they were lacking Dzeko 37 I love Dzeko he's a fantastic player he's had a brilliant eight years since he left City but unfortunately I don't think they got the ball enough to him they didn't create any chances for Dzeko really last night so um, yeah as I said I think it was just that final third the quality that City had compared to Inter really told yeah, I think Inter Milan, like you're saying to Joe Warfare, that Inter Milan spent so much of their time putting out fires that they didn't really have the energy to go and impose themselves on City. But look, I, I think they gave it a real, real go. I was speaking to a lot of a lot of Manchester City mates, a lot of uh, Inter Milan fans, and I think even the Inter Milan fans were a little bit sketchy that this could be a hammering. You know, if City were to hit the back of the net in the first 10, 15 minutes, then maybe Inter Milan could crumble. But I thought Inter Milan were outstanding. I thought defensively really, really good. And, I think there's probably only one way to play against City. You let them have the ball and you, you play for moments in the game. And when Lukaku come on as well, they, I know the, the Ederson save more or less hits him. But then even the Ruben Diaz, when it comes back and Ruben Diaz has to divert that, how many times have we seen that end up in the back of the net? But Ruben Diaz just gets a pass to post. And there was some dodgy, dodgy moments in the game. But like I say, that that's a true a true sign of champions when you can win without playing at the best. And, they're in toward a fourth gear there and they've, they've beaten it a really really good Inter Milan team and Kevin De Bruyne going off early as well mm. like he was probably their best player before he got injured again I felt uh, a bit sorry for De Bruyne going off last night uh, another oh, yeah. Champions League final he's going off early oh I'd say threw that medal away yeah Skulls Keane-esque no I mean <laughs> one step removed admittedly but yeah he didn't look like a fella who was elated walking up to yeah. kiss the trophy and go through the celebrations on City. So Inter, as Stephen mentioned, really well drilled, knew what they were doing, pressed higher maybe than people thought mm. initially in the opening 15, 20 minutes in particular. Like there's definitely that moment where camera cuts to Guardiola and he's screaming in not very relaxed fashion, relax. Mm. And, you, <laughs> and you did think, oh, this could be one of those nights. But uh, as you said, ultimately the problem with Inter was anytime, I mean, anytime Inter had sustained possession, they ran out of ideas pretty quickly. I think it was McManaman on the BT commentary was almost saying, do you know what? They don't have many ideas when you're just giving the ball. There's an argument City should sit deep and hit them on the counter. Yeah, look, that's that's the, the horrible thing about Manchester City is they keep the ball for really, really long periods. And when you're lucky enough to go and get it back off them, the door stays open for a second, a second and a half and you've got it. It's probably annoying the needle pass as well to go and hit them straight away to go for the juggler. So, And that's when they look their most dangerous inter but if in, they went for it straight away. When, but, when, if you were yeah. the man who's at the main running around to get that ball, your quads are tired and then all of a sudden you win it and you think, oh, there's a dodgy pass. Oh no, I'll keep it for a minute yeah. and then you keep it and 
City are back they're in a decent union you're not going to break them down and Inter Milan never really look like breaking them down from open play I know it got a bit helter skelter towards the end when they're pumping balls into the box but yeah, City uh, Inter Milan were quite comfortable defensively as well I know Haaland had the chance in the first half Onana saved it but other than that there wasn't Bernardo Silva in the first minute cuts in and his left foot puts one wide but I think Inter would have been very very happy at half time I think Inzaghi would have been saying the more we do with this the more we frustrate City we're going to get on top and of them Did you all have the, I mean the question mark I had at half time not least when commentary kept reminding us how hot it was in Istanbul was this is great and I'd say they're high-fiving each other at half time saying see see we can contain them Give, yeah. it another, give it another 20 minutes in that heat. I just didn't think they'd be able to maintain it because they really were devilish yeah. in their pressing. Absolutely. And you're like, the likes of Brozovic say he was 30 years of age. Now he was the captain starting last night and you could see like if he has to keep this going for a full night, well, he's not going to be able to, you know. Because yeah. um, it was they were brilliant in the first half. Yes, they really were. And out, it was one of position. those kind of, we can keep them scores till yeah. 75th, 70th, 80th minute. Maybe we can get a set piece, yeah. get ahead or something. I'd say that, that was the thinking. Haaland had nine touches in the first half. Oh, I know Occasionally, he yeah, doesn't have many like, touches, but nine, you know. And I like, I did think I, I've been seeing a few pieces saying, "Oh, look, you know, Holland did well last night. He dropped deep. He kind of sacrificed." I'd be a bit disappointed if I was Holland yeah. after last night. He, he got chances in the first half, didn't score them. Like that's what everybody spoke about the final last night going into this. This is Holland's game. This is set up for him now. This is what he was signed for: is to score the winning goals in big games like this. And he didn't produce, and that's his fifth game in a row now. He hasn't scored a goal. That's a disgrace. So, uh, <laughs> so how how do you characterize Holland's performance? Then? I thought it was a very mature performance. I think he does a lot of stuff that he needs to do for the team. Not that he would, uh, he as an individual, you really want to do. He has to stay away from the game because if he starts coming close and coming into the midfield, trying to link up play, it's all getting a bit congested. And it was very congested as it was last night. Yeah. So if Haaland starts dropping deep, he needs to be on the shoulder. He has to be telling the Serbi, if you want to come in front of me, I'm always going to be on your shoulder. And you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Silva, Grealish, they're all capable of hitting them. So he's just waiting for that one chance. And, it's a very it's a, it's a weird game Haaland didn't play well he only had a certain amount of touches if he scores that goal when De Bruyne puts him through they're 1-0 up and you'd think Inter Milan have to go now and throw a few punches and then City could probably go and win that comfortably enough as it was it was saved so it, it really is fine margin yeah. between Haaland having a goal scoring game and not having not having a good game but it's, it's kind of part of his um, an underrated aspect of his brilliance I think most 22 year olds playing in their first ever Champions League final would think to themselves 25 minutes in, I haven't touched the ball. Mm. To hell with everyone, I'm coming deep. Yeah, and it, it's, it really is such a hard thing to do as a footballer because you know that it could easily be labelled as you're coming into the dressing room, Pep's not going to be too happy, you've not touched the ball, you haven't done a thing. So to be just staying away from it and allowing saying, the players I have there will get me the ball at some point. But I imagine that the ethos in the dressing room is that if, if Haaland's only had nine touches, that Pep Guardiola goes and looks at the midfielders. I don't yes. think he would look yeah. at Haaland, yeah. which is what you need in there. You can't be telling Haaland, I need you to drop deep, I need you to do that because that's not his game. He's there to hit the back of the net. He generally does it, but one one person I want to talk about, I thought Edison was really, really shaky. I thought it bred through the, the back the back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, for a little well, it while. Was, it was him that Guardiola was screaming mm. at relax. And like if he's shaky, yeah. then as you said, that infiltrates their entire team. Yeah, and there was one where he had the ball in the 18-yard box and Inter Milan were ready to go and press, but they weren't quite pressing just yet. And he went to fist the ball out to left to the left back and he just kicked it out of play. And you're thinking, yeah. this is so unlike him. And yeah. then there's a ball dropping in there. Uh, just a bit. It looks like it's about to go behind for the goal kick and he jumps next to it and Inter Milan keep it in and nothing happens from it. But as a centre-half, as a player looking at that, you're thinking, my God, he looks nervous. It and was, that, uh, that goes through the team. It was yeah. everything Guardiola doesn't want a goalkeeper. 
brilliant shot stopper <laughs> crap on the ball because <laughs> he'd make great saves is the other thing in fairness to him like they were big saves at the end yeah they sure were um, funnily enough actually uh, I was watching the uh, Daily Mount or sorry the Derry City Bohemians game on Friday night and uh, Stewie Byrne uh, a colleague of ours uh, awarded the man of the match to Brian Maher uh, because of his distribution during the game he thought his wow. passing was excellent so you know that's the modern goalkeeper nowadays and just quickly go back to the Holland thing Joe it was yeah. interesting what you said about his maturity because I don't know if you saw the BT Sport piece that he did with Rio Ferdinand before the game it was no. really interesting because I, en- I endured all of the BT post-match I didn't <laughs> have the pleasure of the pre-match you could do a separate podcast huh. on that Joe it was interesting Ferdinand said it to him about the whole kind of you know, you don't get many touches on yeah. a ball during a game, but you still come up with the goals. Like, do you not to, like to get yourself a bit more involved? And he kind of laughed. He was like, <laughs> he was like, but you know, we've got loads of players that do that kind of thing. You know, mid, our midfielders, mm-hmm. Silva, De Bruyne, that's what they're paid to do. He said, I'm not like, I'm not going to get involved in that kind of thing. That's not my job. Yeah. I'm paid to score goals. And, you know. He is super intelligent. Even the, um, and it was one of the moments in the match, the Foden drag. Maria, this amazing drag where he you know turned in that like very um, Foden-esque way and then yeah. was just in on goal and it was kind of a tame shot in the end and did but you see Guardiola after that you could see the camera went to him and he went he just went Phil oh yeah I, did, well, I, didn't, I didn't notice that but there, one of the reasons it opened up for him is when he you know he spins and then Haaland like a guy who scored 52 goals would have every right to be like I'm just selfish I'll do what I want to do he makes a really hard run to take defender away and he's never going to get that ball but he does it for Foden. Mm. And again, a part of me is thinking, well, of course, that's what a professional footballer should do. They should do the right things. But I think as Keith will tell us, not all footballers do the right things. <laughs> in the very, very rarely. And I, I say it all the time. I, I'm starting to coach the under 70 and Pat's team. And believe me, trying to get a player to run without the ball is the hardest thing ever. And, to, and knowing they won't get it. Knowing they won't get it. And Haaland does that. And if Foden hits the back of that, everybody says, what a great run by Foden. A brilliant little dribble. And he goes in and scores. But that run, the, it, it's all made by Haaland's yeah. intelligence, thinking I'm going to get a Serbi, I'm going to get him away and Foden opens up the pitch, he goes through. As yeah. it was, it was saved. But it's just a brilliant understanding of it. And it. For Haaland to be able to think, right, I'm going to make this run, I'm not going to get the ball, but yeah. I'm going to help my teammate. And he knows Pep Guardiola. Timo Guardi Werner owns. did it when Chelsea beat City in the Champions League final. Timo Werner made that run out to the left wing and that gave the space for Havertz, Havertz to run yeah. into. Probably all that Timo Werner ever did, wasn't it? Was <laughs> he never really hit the back of the net. But it's, it's funny with that Werner one. I read afterwards that that was like not quite rehearsed is the wrong word but that's definitely a pattern that they have yeah, you go yeah. there you go through I just felt Haaland you know you don't know one Foden's not in the starting 11 he doesn't know he's going to do that drag he just straight away senses boom gone takes him and it was at first because you're so focused on Foden and you're like God that's weird the way the whole thing opened up for him it's only on the replay you see this like oh there's the six foot four giant running across <laughs> the screen <laughs> so we have these things and they're called triggers so when, when Phil yeah. Foden makes that turn and all of a sudden he's, he's faced with the back back five of Inter Milan that's when Hallen knows I have to move here I can't be standing still I have to be on the move and when, even when you listen to him talking about the amount of goals he scores in the box he says it's because I sprint in the box yeah. it's such an easy thing to do but when you actually look at balls dropping or second balls so many people are flat footed or watching the, watching what other things but he just stays on the move and when you're on the move in the box you're dragging defenders with you it's all over the place and he creates that little bit of chaos that yeah. you need to for other players to, to chip in And look, Do you think there's a full do you think that Man City attack have a fully formed relationship mentally now with Holland, or do you think that's going to get better for next season? 
I, th- I think it's going to get better. <laughs> this is this is coming from an Arsenal fan. I think it's going to get better and better and better. When you look at it, the, I go back to the very first game when uh, when Manchester City played West Ham and the, uh, De Bruyne plays that ball through to Haaland. Haaland goes through and it's a lovely finish. I think Manchester City somewhere in the middle of the Premier League season stopped playing that pass. They stopped playing that killer pass and tried to be a little bit a little bit too passy passy, a little bit too noisy, but all of a sudden that pass is there again. And you see so many times now, when they had Aguero and the ball's out wide with, with Grealish, Mares, whoever it is, Foden, Haaland's in the middle of the box. He's there, he's an option. So now as a winger, you're thinking, right, if he's going to stand off me, I'm going to just put this into to Haaland's head. And with the likes of Haaland, it doesn't even have to be a great ball because he, he will make an average ball a decent looking ball. So you just put a half decent ball into the box and Haaland will go and get it. If they want to get close to you, they're right up your backside you can turn them you can roll them Haaland will go and make space so it's just another option and like I say it's not one they really had with Aguero although Aguero would play on the shoulder Haaland is a lot more devastating it's funny you mentioned that West Ham game it was the two weeks before I guess silly season before the season started and much of the talk was how would Haaland fit in at City and it was in that West Ham game where the type of goal you're talking about the one over the top that killer ball he scored that goal and that was a very Dortmund type goal but it was in that same game they're in the box. It was all very tight and someone just slipped it down the side like, and he made a little three or four yard run and finished. And I remember thinking, oh, jeez, he's moving like a, a five foot eight Iniesta in the box as well <laughs> kind of thing. It's, it's frightening. His timing is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Even the, the goal last night, I know it, it's a Kanji, I think, plays a lovely little yeah. ball in around the back to Bernardo Silva. He puts it back and Rodri, the, the timing of Rodri coming in is perfect. If Rodri's in there too early, then the ball comes behind him. He just meets a flush on and people will always think, Oh, well, he just arrived there. That's timing and understanding. And Rodri very rarely got forward last night, so he picked and chose his moments really well to get forward. But like I said, when, it, when, I'm, when I analyse the, the final, I think Inter Milan were probably the better team, but for Manchester City to come out and win it and be in tour that fourth gear mm. just goes to show you the strength they have. And it's funny, isn't it, as well, because I think the man you just mentioned there, Kanji, what a season he's had because he came in, I suppose, not under the radar, but maybe a, a more one of the more modest signings that Manchester City made. And I don't think anybody expected too much. Like I would have kept good tabs in Dortmund over the years. And one thing Dortmund haven't or have failed to do, and it's proved costly again this season at the very last uh, moment, is uh, by signing good defenders. And you're kind of thinking this Akanji guy coming in, Swiss international playing at Dortmund you know this guy is he going to be a good defender in the Premier League and he's been sensational he's been one of their best like behind Holland you might say he's been their best player of the season and he's been fantastic but as well we have to remember is that they completely changed the game plan midway through the season when they got rid of one of their key players to Bayern Munich and then start playing John Stones as the you know the mm. uh, fullback come midfielder and like for a team to do that mid-season, now I don't know if, if Pep was cooking this pre-season or if this was something that he kind of had to do. Um, the exactly, but the fact that they did do it, yeah. like that's incredible. Well, let's pick up on Pep in a moment then. I just want to nip over to Crow Park because we're 23 minutes into the Leinster Hurling final. Tommy Welch is watching. Bright start Galway. I think they scored the first three points, Tom. Uh, Kilkenny have come back into it though it is Kilkenny 1-6 Galway 1-7 on my television screen yeah that's right with 22 minutes gone there Joe TJ just missed a, a free unusual for him 
Um, the goals Kilkenny Mossy Keown as this there's Conor Whelan just after putting over another bar he was quite starting off Conor Whelan but he's after roaring into the game at 1-1 so there's a few positional switches Whelan usually is at the edge of the square but he's gone out to the wing and he kind of drifts in then as after scoring 1-1 in the last couple of minutes uh, for Kilkenny as I said Mossy Keown got the goal a few switches Mossy came out to centre forward but after 17 minutes he went off injured hamstring I'd say didn't hold up so big Walter Welch is in instead of him Paddy Deegan has gone to centre back Conor Fogarty is marking Joseph Cooney around the field for Galway the switches Park Mannion's gone back in on Cody they're having some battle inside on Cody had a couple of half chances for goals but in fairness to Mannion he just pestered them and he didn't get the goals in the end now Kevin Cooney has gone in as well on you know Mikey Butler the man marker yeah. so they put a big man in and there he is just after putting the ball over the bar he wasn't on Mikey for that one but I, I'd say that one standout for this is the work rate of this Galway team from minute one I'd say Jonathan said beside me they got more hooks and blocks in the first two minutes than they did, than they did in the whole match against Dublin and he's right and it's really shown because Kilkenny could have got a few more scores only for it so it's 1-9 to Galway 1-6 to Kilkenny 24 minutes gone Walter Welch is just after catching a great ball and in the back of the net it's a goal 2-6 to 1-9 it's a great game Joe it really is and a lovely crowd here and hugely entertaining 2-6 to 1-9 that goal happened quickly what happened? it did a long ball came and Wall just caught it out of the air about 35 yards out sold it the whole way in along the Cusick stand um, out to the side and just low to the left hand corner beautiful finish yeah Okay, very good. Tommy, thank you. So, uh, just like that, Kilkenny back in at their level with Galway 2-6 to 1-9, 25 minutes on the clock. Uh, we should talk um, Guardiola. So, that's his third Champions League, his first without Messi. That is his second treble. There is no doubt that some of his personal behaviour and obviously the um, controversy around City as an operation loom large in your thinking when you're assessing him. But if you just talk about what he's done as a manager... It does really rubber stamp the sense that he is the best manager of his generation, quite probably the best manager that I've seen in my lifetime. And, you know, Stephen, you mentioned the Cancelo bombing him out. So there's that aspect. He'll turn around to Calvin Phillips and he'll say, you're overweight, zero minutes this season. And then like the array of formations to go, as as Stephen's saying, from 4-3-3 for basically his career and then suddenly switch to that back three in a box of four and the two lads wide and Haaland up front. Like, it all makes beautiful sense when you see it played out. And we all analyse what he does in retrospect. You know, we pick it apart and you see, oh, I see how that works. But for him to dream up some of what he does is really, really incredible. I didn't hear anyone saying that was the formation City should play before he dreamt it up. <laughs> Nobody was advocating he do that. And then... It's kind of changed how the whole world plays football. Like you go to an under 10s game, the reason they're playing out from the goalkeeper is largely down to Guardiola at the moment. And of course, he'll point to the lineage of Cruyff and uh, Meikles and very other, various other protagonists. But I mean, this guy's imprint, uh, both on the way football is played and then what he's won, 33 trophies in 15 years. It is extraordinary. Like you're, you're looking at someone who's probably genius. Yeah, he he's definitely a genius in the in the football sense, and I remember the the first time I come up against this this sort of 
total football ticket-tacky stuff. It was actually in the championship when Preston played against Swansea. Uh, it was uh, Brendan Rodgers was the Swansea manager, and they they had the two eight, the two centre half standing on the byline. The goalkeeper would pass it out from there, and we were thinking, this is crazy stuff. This is nonsensical. But obviously, it's all come from Pep's way way of thinking. And I remember then we were at Burnley, and we would always when we play a game, the next day would be a day off, and then the next day would be massages, ice bath stuff like that. But because Pep's Bayern Munich squad started training the day after a game everybody started training the day after the game so look everybody in the football world looks to him as an absolute genius if you'd have said to me halfway through the season that Manchester City are going to win the league and John Stones is going to be absolutely brilliant and set uh, 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 as a holding midfielder but well, he said absolutely no chance and the way the way he spoke about Kyle Walker as well saying he's not educated enough to play in the middle of the park he gave Kevin De Bruyne a slap on the wrist as well during the season so I think you need to do them things because very very easily you're starting 11 or your bigger players can feel very very comfortable in the dressing room I don't think Pep lets that happen to anybody I don't think I mean he'd done it with Sergio Aguero he said he was overweight he can't play the games I want him to play he slapped Kevin De Bruyne on the wrist and it, it like does feel as if Cancelo being bombed out got everybody sitting up a bit straighter mm-hmm. this season yeah definitely and it's interesting actually because Ferg, when you go back to that 99 team and yeah. Roy Keane was famously Ferguson's mouthpiece on the pitch and Ferguson would never criticise Keane. I don't. I can't remember any time Ferguson would have called Keane out in the middle no. of the season and said this, that, or the other. And pretty, that ultimately pretty, pretty good about most players, Ferguson publicly. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But I think ultimately maybe that became you know a bit of a situation and that kind of backfired a little bit on Ferguson when Keane's exit and yeah. all that's all historical. You'll never see that happen with uh, Pep Guardiola. I don't think you'll ever see a player going out in the kind of acrimony that Roy Keane did at Old Trafford or the kind of controversy and headlines that we had as we saw. I, I, Can- I was amazed the Cancelo thing wasn't a bigger story. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I've sold Cancelo. Yeah. What? Yeah. Because I mean, anyone in here over the last year would have said, who, name me City's five best players last season. Mm. Cancelo's in the five he's man made isn't he to go from right back into midfield as well being such a good footballer so when he did go out the door I thought this must have been a big big bust up for, for Pep to be able to say listen you get out the door it must yeah. have been huge but obviously he has standards in the dressing room and if you're not meeting the standards he wants you know professionally and off the pitch then you're out the door and, and the other thing as well about what you mentioned Stones like Stones when he was going through his worst days as a footballer it always looked like that he was lacking confidence, that there was something mentally there that wasn't strong enough for him. And to do what he's done this season, that takes huge confidence and mental strength. So Pep's obviously done something there Mm. as well, Guardiola should say, to build Stones' confidence back up to be able to do what he's done this season, which is, again, a feat in itself. Oh, yeah. And it was interesting, Grealish, when he was interviewed, he was very emotional. He wasn't as coherent and brilliant as he usually is in interviews. He was just very... um, yeah, he was kind of holding back tears. And like his, the first thing he said was, I was awful tonight. You know, he kind of, I'd say he summed up how a lot of City players will remember mm. that game. He's like, I was awful. <laughs> but uh, he was asked about his manager and he said, I just went over to him a moment ago and I said, thank you. Because he took me from Villa, a lot of money. He said, and this is Grealish's word, I was crap last year. And he's just managed to find a way to let me express myself and feel good about myself again. And I, you know. I kind of owe him everything. So the man management from the Cancelo, Zlatan, out you get lads, mm. to the Stones, Grealish, let's rehabilitate these guys with talent. He kind of takes that box as well. Mm. The, the very little that he's not doing brilliantly as he goes through the checklist of any great manager, aside from, of course, you know, defending the indefensible and saying that Manchester mm. City are well, yeah. wider and white. So that's why I don't, I'm not, fu- <laughs> not fully on Team Pep, who is the greatest football manager I've seen. Yeah, I look. It's um, 
he's been given and I know people will say well you know he's he's bought players that don't haven't cost like astronomical 100 million 120 million fees but like he's bought an awful lot of players that are like 40 to 60 to 70 million yeah. kind of price range and again you know the whole thing has been set up where you know, it's it's hard for him to lose and to not achieve these things because he's got some of the best players in the world. They've got an academy there that's producing, you know, another array of talent. We've seen a couple of those play their part this season. It's almost built for him not to fail. And, you know, essentially it is, it's a state-run club. You know, I know it's, um, they, they will say, you know, it's, uh, it's not exactly like Saudi Arabia and Newcastle United, but look, Sheikh Mansour was there last night at the game. It was interesting. Steve McManaman, uh, you know, uh, I suppose unintentionally yeah. pointing out the fact that he hadn't been at a game for 13 years. Like, that's pretty disgraceful, isn't it? Like, I, I was reading Rob Draper to piece um, in the mail today. And so it turns out Sheikh Mansour is the owner, but it's his brother and Al Mubarak who are the driving forces. Mm. So to be fair, there's probably dereliction of duty on the media who just say Sheikh Mansour is owner. He's the one who's worried about it all the time. I'm not sure. Well, clearly yeah. he's gone to two games in 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he's living and dying by how Man City go. Yeah. It's fun. I, I, you know, I, I take your points totally on the 60 million pound players and how it's all set up for Pep not to fail. It's funny. I still think the second he walks out of that door, mm they will still come back to reality because look at PSG. You need such a brilliant manager to get all these small decisions right on how to handle Grealish and how to handle Cancelo and how to handle Kelvin Phillips being overweight. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I think the minute he walks out the door, then this era is over. Now, maybe I'm wrong and we'll be sitting there saying, geez, it doesn't matter. They're just able to buy their way to success. But I somehow, I don't think whoever next man is, they'll be anywhere close to what they are now. That'll be my sense. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think if Pep was to to leave, and he has actually said, uh, you know, if the, all this the the financial stuff, the fair play rules have been breached, which we all believe they probably have been, then he will walk out the door. He said, Man City yeah. have assured me that you know it's all above board, and I believe them. So, it'd be interesting to see when that does come to a head. But I, I would be like you, Joe. I think he's the glue that holds all these good players together. And like when you're Kevin De Bruyne and you're getting a slap on the wrist, and you're thinking. You're, you're an elite elite player very yeah. very few people can open their mouth to you but when Pep says something you listen Yeah. so he, I really do think he's the glue that holds her all together and even players I heard in that only last week when I was in here I was hearing Ilkoy Gundawan is his next door neighbour so <laughs> I've, I've never lived next to my manager when I was playing because obviously you're off you're having a curry you're doing your own little things you don't want your manager you know knowing the whole lot of your business but I just think they're an ultra ultra professional mm. bunch of lads they do what they need to do and they seem like a really tight team yeah. as well. The mm. funny thing though as well, when he was at Barcelona winning the two European Cups and all the trophies that he won there, and I think Irish people especially felt a real grow for that Barcelona team yeah. um, because I think because the whole history of Catalonia and the, 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 the city itself, the Barcelona city, the club, the way the club has, you know, even the Irish links uh, going back to Patrick O'Connell. But then, you know, Start you had the football. great players like Rivaldo, yeah. you had Ronaldinho, who were people loved. And Barcelona just weren't getting that success because Real Madrid were so dominant in the early 2000s. But then along come this great team with Xavi, Iniesta, uh, Messi, players that have come to La Masia, the great academy in Barcelona. And they played beautiful football, football that we'd never seen. This was the greatest football team we'd all seen. And there was a real romance about it. There was a real, you could really, I, everybody was a Barcelona fan back then. Hmm. Nobody's 
I don't think there's any neutrals that have a real love for this Manchester City team. No. You know, I think it's Manchester City supporters and that's it. I think you'll find it hard to go outside the Manchester City support and find people who have a real genuine love for this Manchester City team and the way they play football in the same way that they did for that Barcelona team under Guardiola. Mm. No, I think you're right. Like people have texted into the show routinely keep saying that they find Man City boring to watch. Yeah, well, I, I would agree with that uh, on, a, on a large scale, but I always liken it to watching a Floyd Mayweather fight. It can be quite boring at times, but when you when you step back and you analyse what's going on, it, it really is true to roof. The technical ability of the players, where they want to be. It's like a chess match and not an awful lot of it is left down to the players anymore. Pep tell them where to be. and It, it can be quite boring, but it gets results. And when you're... When you, raking in trebles you're winning the Champions League I'm sure there's very few players that are coming in and saying yeah. Gaffer I'm a bit bored by how we're playing because it's interesting I think if you were to ask us traditionally what is boring football we would lean towards defensive football a Mourinho team set up back mm. in the day where City are putting together glorious football they have a freak of a striker who scores 52 goals in a season you got silky Jack Grealish one side you got Bernardo Silva or else Mara's doing their thing on the other side Gundogan popping in volleys the FA Cup you got De Bruyne who's a genius they shouldn't be in any way boring. Like they're playing football, quote unquote, the right way. People aren't connecting with it for whatever reason. Yeah, well you, you say they, they play football the right way and, you know, 70, 80% of the time they do. It's when they keep the ball at the back. There's sometimes last night they were quite laboured at the back of Kanji passing the Diaz, passing the Ake. They would keep the ball by keeping the ball safe. And I've played against teams like this and all you have to do is just come across the pitch, just slide and slide and slide. And if, they don't, if they're not going to risk that ball into the middle, then you're largely very, very comfortable. Yeah. And that's what Inter Milan were. You have to be dedicated. You have to run around. You have to give 100%. And you have to anticipate. Inter Milan did all these things. But you look, when you look at the, the Gundogan gold uh, in the FA Cup final, not a lot of po- not a lot of people want to talk about it, but it's a long ball from a kickoff. Yeah. I know it's a kickoff. They win the header. They go in with uh, Her- Haaland goes and I think he jumps with Lindelof. Lindelof gets half a head on before you know Gundogan puts it in the back of the net. That's a long ball. Yeah. That's just a, the basis of the game, picking up the second ball. I don't think they're boring this year. I'd say in the last couple of years I found them tough going, but I think Haaland has transformed them this year. I love watching them this year. Mm. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, even the attacking, like Jack Grealish uh, yeah. is, is part of the revolution in Jack Grealish this season has been his defensive work. Like I remember myself and Brian did the game against Tottenham, which they lost in London 1-0 in February. And it was the first time I'd seen Grealish in the flesh properly doing this new role that he's been given. Um, this harks back as well, as well as to Pep's brilliance and mm. how Guardiola's brilliance and how he wants to, players to play the game. Um, and getting Jack Grealish to become this, you know, really good, quality defensive player as well as um, as an attacking player but as you were saying I think Holland is he's, I love watching him I think he's it's I love an it. old school yeah. centre forward that yeah, goes battering through like Drogba like Fernando Torres these kind of great strikers over the years we've seen and Holland is just he's like taking this to another level yeah. and he's brilliant oh, to watch there was a couple of Very months exciting. a couple of months where you had to tune in to see was he going to score a hat-trick again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable on Grealish I was talking to someone and they wouldn't mind me saying it, it was close to the Grealish circle and so Pep's instructions to Grealish are actually very simple it is you have to stay in that area of the pitch if you leave I will kill you I will take you (laughs) off you you stay in that area once you get the ball do whatever you want he's far more hands off and uh, I think Grealish looks a less self-conscious footballer on the ball this year I felt like last year he was thinking what would Pep want me to do 
I better pass it. Whereas this year I feel he's like, he'd say himself a bit more like Aston Villa Grealish. Mm. So in a way, maybe Pep's learned how to manage him as well, that like he just needs a bit of freedom. But in the area of the pitch, I'm happy to let him do his thing. <laughs> I think a, a big thing for that as well, that it's probably something that just happened by, it didn't happen by design, it just managed to happen. But Cancelo not being there, not playing left back and bombing around Jack Grealish now, when Grealish gets the ball nine times out of 10, it's Nathan Ake who just stays at home or some, you know, somebody will come around the front of him. But yeah, when you're a winger and you, the manager saying, listen, I need you to be here when we don't have the ball. I, I was always told stuff like that because I, I wasn't a great defender. So managers would say, Keith, come back, be a body. When you get it, go down the line and cross it. And it's the easiest thing in the world yes. when you get it, get down the wing and cross it. Very, very easy. So the instructions are very, very easy. And some players, like I'm sure De Bruyne at Gundogan, you can overload them with information. They look like lads who can take it on board. Yeah. And I'm not saying Grealish is not, is not clever, but sometimes... I know for me, when you've got simple instructions, it's the easiest thing for you, even at the top level of the game. Yeah, I'd say that's bang on. So as the um, clock starts to come against us, how will we remember this season? Because people still talk about 99. Mm. In so much as I, you know, I think on BT, Darren Fletcher was like, the greatest sports story in club football has its ending. I was thinking, well, that... I mean, it's a lot of things. It's not the greatest story in uh, sports uh, club football history. Whatever it is, it has its ending. Maybe it's only just the beginning. But um, I don't know. I I felt there was such a flatness about it for what was the most ridiculous achievement. So I, you know, in in ten years, you will will you be saying to the young fella, God, you should. It's a pity now yeah. you missed twenty twenty three. Well, like when you think about that United treble, and I said, I've no dog in the fight here. I'm not a supporter of either side. Right. Um, when you think of that great United team and that season, you know, there were so many different things going on. Like the York Cole partnership, that was brilliant. You know, we talk about mental understanding players, that telepathy, they they were f- so good with that. But you can pick all, out all these kind of, uh, I dread to use the word iconic, but moments in United's winning of all different, tr- yeah. all those three trophies. Like there was the gigs goal in the semi-final against yeah. Arsenal in the FA Cup Liverpool FA Cup game before that exactly the last couple of minutes that's yeah. the thing you have United um, uh, in the Champions League you had Keane getting sent off against Juventus, against Juventus and playing yeah. the greatest game we've ever seen probably from a United player in Europe um, an yeah. Irish United player even the way they won the league I mean they had a load of draws exactly 1-0 down to Spurs at home yeah yeah. there's all these iconic moments I think back to City season this season mm. what oh. is the moment I can't think of many. There's like, a lot of like, teams out of race, isn't there? Like Liverpool were poor, Chelsea were poor, yeah. Spurs were poor. Yeah. I know Arsenal were good, but nobody yeah. was really expecting no. Arsenal to, to give them a race. So, Like yeah. the Eddie had showcased what where those yeah. two are. There's still a gulf. Yeah. So, but, they, they, yeah, because even that proves the point. You can't say it's an iconic moment when they beat Arsenal at the Etihad because, I mean, they trounced them and Arsenal were abysmal. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't feel like, wow, that's when we knew. We yeah. sort of knew before kickoff. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it's just it's a season which has been very professional. Mm. They've been brilliant in what they did. They've just gone out there and they've 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 you know been their best, <laughs> been the best their best yeah. selves, and done what you would expect them to do with that quality of player they've got in their squad. But there just hasn't been to go back to what you yeah. said at that at the top. There hasn't been that kind of excitement or jeopardy maybe that we saw with Drama. United in that in that treble. The other season. thing is if the hundred and fifteen charges stick. Mm then akin to Lance Armstrong when you look back on it that mm. transforms how you see his wins and it would transform how you have to see this Premier League season Well does the UEFA charge from last season not even come in there where they were meant to be thrown out of this season's Champions League but then they paid a big fine and 
you know, they it's got kinda... off. It was time barred mm-hmm. was the main reason they got off, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I know in, in that Rob Draper piece I mentioned as well, there's the um, line that the Man City legal team uh, had, which was, you know, Al Mubarak has said he'd rather pay 30 lawyers. No, he'd rather pay the best 50 lawyers in the world 30 million a year for 10 years to sue UEFA than pay the fine. <laughs> now, in the end, they paid the fine. But I'd say UEFA were thinking, oh, God, don't do that. Because <laughs> a bit like the uh, PIF and Live Golf, they could drag you through the courts forever. So that will change things. Does that, the UEFA fine, there's a, there's a weird thing with City where people look at it and say, a lot of smoke here. You'd yeah. be amazed if there isn't a fire. Like in the hearts and minds of people, do they look at City and think, I'm sure this will all be cleared up? Well, even Guardiola a couple of weeks ago, he was kind of going, Ugh why don't the Premier League get on with this and just let us yeah. know, you know, kind of, well, well, it's down to the club not giving the Premier League access to the kind of uh, documents that they wanted to see to, to progress with the case. Well, so They also said, we have irrefutable evidence we're innocent, which begged the question. Of sure, sure. all 115? Yeah, ir- we have irrefutable evidence to prove it. Kind of inclined to say, well, think, okay, fire it over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have a look at it. Stick it in the fax machine there, you boys. Know. So that is part of the story. It's boring to mention it every week when we're reviewing or every match day when you're doing commentary and you can't have like a ticker at the bottom of a screen every time you talk about them saying 115 charges pending. But that is definitely another aspect to this. That's a complication for sure. Yeah, it is. And I I think that's the reason a lot of people like Stephen is saying a lot of the neutrals are finding it very hard to get behind Manchester City in this. And look, I would always support the English teams when they're in the Champions League. But as a neutral, as an Arsenal fan as well, you know, I'm looking at it and when you hear all these things, you're thinking, okay, I'd be like you, Joe, there's no smoke around fire, there has to be something here. So even if, there, even if you know, 50 charges, there's nothing there, still an awful lot there. Uh, and I do, I do think it'll muddy the water, to be honest with mm. you. And a lot of my my Arsenal fans are still saying we could win the Premier League in the boardroom here. So <laughs> have me fingers crossed. But What a day that would be. We've still got dancing daily, boys. That's that's my iconic moment of, uh, of the European year, I think. Uh, David Moyes in the dressing room. Oh, yeah. Brilliant, mm. you know, so. Yeah, because that had a lot of heart to it, didn't it? By comparison. Full of romance. Yeah. Absolutely full of romance. And again, look, two former Irish caps winning European trophies this season, oh, Declan right. Royce and Jack Grealish. Wouldn't it be handy to go to Greece with those two right now? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, speaking of all that, actually, so that's Man City in the season that was. What are your thoughts? I'm sure we'll talk to you in the meantime ahead of Greece. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I think it's going to be very difficult over there. I think we've uh, the likes of Doherty, Collins, Obafemi haven't played an awful lot of minutes. Possession's going to be at a premium. We're not great at keeping the ball at the best of times. The heat is going to kill us. So mm. I'm not too sure. And to be honest with you, Joe, I, I'm not sure what to expect of the Greeks. They have some decent players that can hit the back of the net. They won their first game against Gibraltar, three 0 in the group. So. I'm not too sure. I do think we're a little bit more talented than him, but I think the 30 degree he is going to be a big, big leveller. So it could just come down to desire. And like I said, with, with Collins, Obafemi, Doherty all not having the minutes we want them to have, I think we could uh, I think we could struggle against Greece. Okay. It's funny, actually, I was in Greece a couple of years ago. I went to see a couple of games, two in the one day, and I went to see uh, Panathinaikos playing at home. They're, they Their old stadium is, is defunct now. They're playing in the Olympic Stadium, 70,000 seater, and granted there was about maybe 15,000 Panathinaikos fans there, but the stadium itself, I thought, oh, this would be perfect for an Ireland game because like it's there's an athletics track around it and, you know, it's not too... But they're actually playing the Ike Athens uh, Stadium, which is compact, it's tight, 
Now, I don't know if the Greek football supporters are coming out in numbers during international matches, but that's that's the kind of intimidating atmosphere that could go against us as well. So that will be interesting to see whether the Greek uh, supporters are on, on board. Their football went uh, after, obviously, winning the Euros themselves and the crash then the finances went wrong in the country or went down the, the same path as ourselves and they had a real bad 10-15 years but they're starting to come out of that now and produce a couple of decent young Greek players now I think they've still a bit to go but they have got talented players there whether they can beat us is another story as you're saying I think as you're saying Keith we have better quality players in there so I think Ireland need to back that France performance up with a, a, a similar performance against a weaker side and show that they can be a dominant team in a match sticky one all written all over it doesn't it mm. could easily look we're in a group of France the Netherlands Greece Gibraltar I think if we were to finish toward at the end of that yeah. I think we'd be exactly where we should be I think the only one is Greece away if Greece go and beat us then you know we're in a real dogfight for toward but I think if we finish toward maybe try and get something off the Netherlands somewhere along the line home or away throw a few punches in the game like the France defeat, you know, nobody expected us to really no. be France, but there's a way to lose. There's a way you can there stomach is, to lose yeah. a game, and the way we played against Actually, the France. Benet missing is a big. That's a big yeah. blow, I think. No, that's based on his performance against France. So yeah, and like I say, Obafemi then will probably go with Fergus, and Obafemi hasn't had the minutes you want, and you know, like the likes of Cullen, Fergus, and probably played too many minutes this season. So the squad is just disjointed all over the place. But the Jim friendlies are always difficult. There, mm. fellas, we're out of time. Stephen Doyle is uh, staying with you in the hot seat here Keith Tracy pleasure thanks very much for coming in no problem we'll uh, take a very short break we'll go over to Tommy Welch half time at Croke Park in just one sec